Welcome to The Standard. The Standard is on a mission to champion the pursuit of excellence and fight against the celebration of mediocrity. For those who refuse to lower their standards, for those who can't raise their own, this is The Standard. For fitness, for family, for life. So you're down in Florida, right? Jacksonville, Florida. Awesome. Yeah, great. Well, it's negative. Uh, it's been like negative three here for uh, the last few days, so we're a little jealous of your, your weather down there. Hey, you, you're doing this to yourself, bro. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. I got nobody to blame you, you ourselves. You chose this life. You yeah. chose this life. You, you know, got to embrace it. The, I tell you what. You got to see, is... like, I just want someone that's always got that. I want you to tell me how much you love it. Oh, yeah, right? oh it's I love hands, it. I love hands it. down. <laughs> I came from Chicago. And this is like, I, this has been the only year since I've moved here that I've had to like pull out a winter coat. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> this place is maybe good for pretty, you. This place is maybe pretty soft. <laughs> um, good for you. We actually met before. I went to the first star course in DC and oh. I got a, oh. I, I have a bit of a oh. bone, I have a bit of a bone to pick with you. <laughs> Well, I was there. I did it too. I got a bit of a bone to pick with me too. So, what's yours? Oh, I have some questions. First of all, it, it was hands down the the worst physical experience I think I've ever had. I've never yeah. quit. I've never DNF'd anything. Right, Ironman, yeah. ultras, nothing. And uh, I didn't make it through thirty miles of that thing. It was miserable. Yeah, it was absolutely terrible. There were uh, some people, and I've I have been dying to ask you this question since then. There were, I think, four guys wearing silkies, and I think they were shirtless, and they started running, like, right off the bat, and I, I can't imagine they didn't win, because I think they ran the entire time. Yeah, I don't know that there were four, but there were, like, three people, and they didn't cross the line in silkies, I know that. Oh, okay. Right? <laughs> but they were way, they were way ahead, man. Oh. I mean, it was... Like I underestimated it. I've rucked long distances and I, I, I underestimated the weight. Uh, I'm like, Oh, this is no weight. And Oh, you know, this distance I, my, I've, I've got it in me. And it was, it was a series of going to the well, man. Like it was, I've never been so cold or wet. Cause we got lost. Yeah. I ended up in a, like a, we were going down that one trail to start and we missed yeah. the turn and we ended up in the suburbs here. I'll tell you how what, on the way back. No, on the way out. That that bike path you missed the turn. There was like five hundred. This is Craig you're talking about. Okay, no, this is Craig. No, he, he, <laughs> an idiot. So we, uh, so we, my buddy and I, who I did this with, we'd never been to. Uh, we went to DC in like eighth grade, and so uh-huh. uh, we found these uh, three Marines and three Air Force members who were stationed in DC. So we're like, sweet, we're just gonna follow them. Like they clearly know where they're going, and that was a horrible life-changing mistake uh yeah do that do that once yeah exactly uh so yeah we ended up doing like eight extra miles before we got to the the actual turn on that trail and we were smoked to be clear the the turn was an it was an out and back yeah but you had to like stay on that dirt like get on the gravel path we stayed on the bike path this is going to uh-huh. be riveting okay. for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, I see. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was brutal. That was our introduction into rucking. We've never done it before, and uh, it's the real deal. Good. Yeah, it is. We came back and we did uh, the one in Denver to redeem ourselves. How was that? Better. Weather was great, actually. Weather was great. Yeah. I mean, August, right? Something like that. It was yeah, great. it was. It was good. It was. I was but there's some too. piece of you that knows that you have to go get true redemption in in our nation's capital. A hundred percent. You know, and you know this to be true, and everybody does. <laughs> well, I came, I so came awesome a little un, unprepared for the weather. Uh, so did I. So did everyone. <laughs> Man, did you see the dryer memes? Oh, right? from the from that bathroom on along the way. It was like if you know, oh, you know. Oh yes, you know? absolutely. I there, and everybody, Hover, I mean, there's people shivering, you know, huddling dude. around like this. Shivering. The dryer. It's like hit it again, hit it again, and it's just that hot air. And <laughs> it was you know, useless. It smells like someone shit in there because <laughs> it's it's fresh and you just don't care. You're like, man, I'm warm than i was but then you get outside you got to stay frozen oh god this again yeah Yeah. you just got to keep moving i what what really impressed me and made me think that uh i knew you were onto something is that 
we got maybe right where you could get off that gravel path back onto the street. And uh-huh. there was a group of five people and, uh, they're like, how long have you been rucking? Like, like it was a, like it is, right? It's a thing. It's like its own sport. And we didn't really realize that. And it was so cool. Cause it was one of those moments that they're like, I'm going to give you as, I'm going to try and download as much information as I can give you to try and, and to finish. And we ended up taking the most depressing cab ride, uh, <laughs> around mile 30 back to the hotel. I don't think we said one word to each other. And then were you just not going to make the time hack or was it yeah, you were just done? My hamstring. Or just beat up or both? So we can dig deep, but like we broke, like our bodies broke. Like my hamstring yeah. still to this day is, is jacked. Yeah. Um, and you guys know your body. Like you, this isn't when, you know, when you kind of know, you know, it, well, it, like some people quit too early, but if you know your body, then it's, it's, you know. And we all want to say like, I'll never quit. I'll die. But there comes a point where you're like, all right, if I do that and we, and we make it, I'm not gonna be able to walk for, you know, six months and now I'm going to miss work and I'm not going to be able to train for another event. So, I mean, I'd love to say we never quit anything, but that was, that was a tough one. Here's what I'm interested in though. Uh, Jason, you probably running how many races a year? Are you, are you still doing quite a few races a year? Yeah. So they're not all races. Um, but we put on, 2019, we put on a thousand events. Okay. 2020, we put on six or seven hundred. In 2021, we put on five hundred. But are, are you doing so any like star course rucking? Yeah. Like that distance. So what I'm wondering is, so Craig, I, and a couple other guys uh, that we work with, we did that star course in in uh, Denver a couple years back, and it, I mean, it like it fucked up my knee pretty bad. Uh, I made it through, but you know, it was a good three four months of it took me to feel 100% again. Were you guys jogging or just walking? Well, we started out. I think what we start out and we what we do, we would... Uh... So we, we follow the same plan, the novice plan of, hey, we're just going to basically like run for 20, yeah, 20, 30 seconds, and then we're going to take 30 seconds and speed walk. Um, and we kind of kept that up until the morning. And then it was like, now we're just going to grind. Yeah, I... I'm just wondering about recovery. Oh, you know? okay. I I couldn't do that. I'd be injured all year. I don't know if it's just because my height, my body type, or whatever. You know, because like Nick, he he ran it with us, and he. So what's you your know? body type? Uh, He's six gigantic. four two ten. Pretty. Okay, I'm six four two hundred. And so, yeah. So does it affect you, or is it just I got I got so bitch I, knees? I would be curious <laughs> about your your technique of running because you don't actually want to run. Okay. I mean, unless you've really, Thanks, really Craig. done it. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Fuck so, that up for me. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there's a way to shuffle. So look, if you, if you look at the physiological science, when you run, it's nine times your body weight of force load onto your body, onto your joints with every strike. Boom. Nine times your body weight. Do that math. It's, it's a lot, right? The second part is when you walk or when you ruck, depending upon your gait, right? it's 2.7 times your, your body weight. So th- what that means is that, you know, it's, it's a third. So if you're, you know, 180, never do math in public. If you weigh 180 <laughs> and you have 20 pounds on your back, then you calculate it by, if you're rucking by 200 times 2.7, right? So the point is, is that it, the weight doesn't actually, that's not what's gonna get you injured. It's, it's your form and what your goals are. And if, look, if you wanna win, a star course, then you're going to end up rock running, right? That's just part of it. I've been there. I've done that. There are better ways to do it. But basically, while you're shuffling, you, you keep your feet closer to the ground and you can do that. Like you guys bull whipped yourselves, right? So <laughs> yeah. running, Sounds so about right. running and then stopping to run and then speed walking and then running and then spe- like there's, a, there's, you're going to, to too many extremes there because the gates are completely different when you do that. And so the more time that you would be able to kind of shuffle, you can do that almost forever. If, oh. if you, if you train to do that, your feet just stay much lower to the ground. When you start galloping or running or something like that, you will get injured because your body's not used to that. You're just adding more strain onto running, which I don't, I don't recommend running for most people. I mean, realize I, I loved to run when I was in the army, my wife ran in college you know, we're like, it's, I, I get it. I get the endorphins. I get all of that. The problem is that it's just not a sustainable form of 
physical fitness training and, and the bigger people are the worse it is for them so that was a nice anyway, way to tell us that yeah. we suck no he stupid. what he i think what he said is we worked harder than a lot of the other people there <laughs> but we we're the dumbasses on the course <laughs> recovery no, no then preparation I would also look at someone like kelly kelly starrett at, at the ready state he does a lot of uh, of great work on the the recovery front but this is you know think if you don't have the legs for it you're you're going to get injured and you're going to have to recover however it might be but when you want to be you know more flexible in your hip flexors and and all these things that I'm I'm terrible at frankly I'm pretty good at rucking but I'm pretty bad at doing a lot of the other stuff that said you know it's it's cumulative right like you want to get more flexible you want to do all those things you want to wake up and meditate for an hour and write in your journal for another hour and start your day like that every day. I don't always do that. I don't, I rarely if ever do that. Right. Yeah. But the point is with rucking is, is that it's, it, it ties in a lot of stuff and like anything you, you need to get your body used to it, especially when you're a knuckle dragon meathead, like, like me, and you just want to go after the biggest, hairiest, hardest thing first yeah. without properly it's, kind of acclimatizing your body to it. 100% so, correct. So, you know, I like, I get it. It takes one to know one. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by us, more specifically the Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can get more episodes like this, you can get discounts to our store, and free gear. Head on over to the-standard.us and click on Patreon. Well, I think what's so interesting is that it seems like you and your company have created this subculture. And was that the intention, or was the intention to come up with some really cool gear and try and get people moving. I mean, the intention was to live the life and, and to do it in an honorable way. And, you know, that, that plan had to morph over time, but, you know, coming from special forces, it's something that I, I don't and will never take lightly. And there is always a small degree of discomfort when I come on and, and talk about that in any way. Yes. I've made my peace with, with much of it, because I've had to, frankly, and, and I believe that there's there's value in building a bridge between the military and the civilian worlds. And so I'm really comfortable with that as as an outcome. I'm, I'm happy to give back time, effort, energy, money to organizations that I, I support, Green Beret Foundation among them. But I was very careful about that at, at the early stages. And I'm still careful about that because I, I just I never want to bring disrespect to, to the regiment. Guys, like I, I will serve the regiment until... Special Forces Regiment until the day I die and in this life and the next. And so it started out as, hey, yeah, let me take the best gear that I had and, and make it kind of comfortable in Baghdad and New York City. And then it was, OK, nobody wanted to buy the gear. So let me come up with an event that's based on Special Forces training. <laughs> that's really hard, yeah. you know, but that also builds a bridge. And it is not it's not boot camp, but it's also, you know, this was the Go Ruck Challenge. It's not boot camp and it's not, you know, it's also not just exploitation for its own sake, right? Like there was, there was positive outcomes. It was, it was veterans like me that were building that bridge that we personally needed. And so how do we support veterans through their transition? They have to have task, mission, purpose. They have to have something to do something. And, and for me, it just meant, I want that to be a, something of honor. And, and so you know, I felt like it became a good platform, this idea of building better Americans and building communities. And then that kind of inspired the, the fitness activity known as rucking. So this was not some master plan that I had in my head that was, we're just going to talk about rucking. It was more, that's just the life I led. People think that special forces training is based on someone screaming at you or log PT or rifle PT or push-ups or flutter kicks or whatever, or the hose in your face. Like that's 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 so fractional to all of this. I mean, that's almost a break. When someone's <laughs> screaming at you, all you have to do is, is like, it's going to go away and you just do what they tell you to do and you do your best. And, you know, like th that that's the easy part. It's not all these other things. And you're on day three and you're by yourself and you've got to hit your next point. Or you're on a patrol, day three of a patrol and calories are light, sleep is none. You know, all that stuff, it's heavy and, and it's just this, this microwave that's keeping you warm, right? Until you stop. And it's this tick that's sucking the life out of you when it's 125 pounds and you're doing an insert into wherever. And, and so I guess my, my point is, is that that's the, 
that's what the foundation was. And we built the gear unknowingly that like, Hey, it's got to be able to carry weight comfortably because that's the gear that I liked, you know, it was real simple. And, and so with this, it's, it's, uh, you know, go rock. It was live that life. And it was community based because that's what special forces is. And it was, you know, and it's just been incremental. This hasn't been this, you know, you, you release the shot and it's fire and forget it. Just doesn't work like that. I wanted to ask you something, if you don't mind me um, kind of going back. I had an opportunity to read How Not to Start a Backpack Company and um, really good book. And one of the things that I missed in the book that I really want to hear about, because what you're talking about, building community, building a bridge between the military and the civilian world is incredible. But prior to all of that happening, can you talk a little bit about your childhood and what shaped you because you've built something incredible and there had to be a progression of you're a teenager, you're making this decision to go into the military at some point, late teens, early twenties. Like, can you talk a little bit about what helped shape you as a person to get to the point where today uh, you've built this community? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I have never, seen anybody that made it through any special operations training who didn't have some significant adversity in in their lives right the the first hard challenge that you face is not in the special forces qualification course it doesn't work like that you know because it's just everybody that was like that they've kind of washed out and and it is it's it's looking for a specific kind of person that can all of those things right resiliency and adversity and like I think everyone's like life's hard in some ways for everyone so I don't mean to denigrate anybody's like youth or how we were all raised but there's just there's a physical element there's a mental element there there's all of that and, and you know my mom was really young when she had me she was eight, just turned eighteen when she had me and you know. Right after that, I moved with her down to, to Gainesville. She, you know, I was the mascot for the University of Florida women's tennis team for, for three years down there. What does that uh, look you know, like? Congratulations on your success. What, is that, what does that look <laughs> yeah. like? Were you, I mean, what's there, what, what does that entail? You're, you're like, you, you know, dressed as a giant you, racket. Racket. Yeah, <laughs> or, or an alligator, or you get on the bleachers and you and you you cheer for your mom when she's playing. If if they let you in the, if they let oh, you your mom, your day. mom was on the team that you were. Yeah. Uh, oh, that is That's awesome. <laughs> I was three years old, right? Um, and I was friends with the whole team. I, you know, I they kind of, like, I was in and out of the locker room and all of that stuff. You know, I'm a three year old boy. So, you know, and then we bounced around a lot, moved a lot, you know, that, that's always hard. You got new, I, I played sports throughout tennis, basketball, stuff like that. I enjoyed being outside the physical, the physical side of everything was, was great. And uh, so team sports were really important to me, even though tennis was an individual sport, I always kind of gravitated toward the school side of it and, and all of that stuff. And I, I frankly didn't like the individual side of tennis all that much, but basketball was great too. And and so, you know, eventually we, we, you know, I graduated just, I'll speed up the timeline a little bit, but I graduated from high school in 97. You know, I went to, I played tennis in, in Atlanta in, in college for, for four years. And that was great. The team element, I, I thrived in that. It was a lot of fun, but then, you know, we're getting to the towers fell in, in 2001. And that was what May, June, July, four months after I graduated. And so that kind of changed everything. And I just graduated from college. So I started looking at ways that I could serve because I felt compelled to do that. And it just kind of didn't, you know, it took, I applied to all the, the, the alphabet soup agency types, right? Like the CIA, the FBI, you know, what, what, whatever, applied to a bunch of them. And, you know, I just, I knew I needed to join the military, but I, you know, it's a scary thing in the time of war to do that. And so it wasn't really the family business, so to say. And, and yet I was, I was compelled and, and proud to serve my country. So eventually I enlisted in 2003 and that was, that was a, you know, like at some point you just got to do it. I mean, I, I remember I was staying with a buddy out in LA and, you know, he was working and stuff. Anyway, I had some time off. I was like training to go into the military, whatever that meant. <laughs> and I remember reading Generation Kill in, in the Rolling Stone magazine that, that was out. And I was like, man, these wars are passing me by and I will regret this until the day I die if I don't do this. So it was just, 
I'd kind of been going the opposite route and, you know, it just was hard to get in. God bless America. You know, people wanted to serve her. And, and so I was like, okay, well, I, I need to just enlist. So I did that and, and officially shipped off at the end of October in, in 2003 and served for, for five years. And, you know, towards the tail end is when kind of the genesis of, of Go Ruck started. And so did you try out any other businesses when you, when you got out, I mean, or you're like, you know what, this is exactly what I want. I, I want to keep this, this, this family of military that uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you value so much. Like, I just want to keep that going. How can I do that? Yeah. I mean, w- more so than that, like, I didn't even want to be in business, you know, mm. like I, I was still planning on going back and, and joining one of the, the, the alphabet, the, the, the agency or, or one of those places. And, you know, this was, this was kind of a break between that. And I was going to go back to school, which I eventually did. And Goruck was just this hobby. And I didn't really see much of a future in it because I didn't want to be in business. And, and I say that because I didn't, I didn't want to just chase a buck. Mm. I, I wanted there to be more mission and purpose to that and never having started a business or knowing what could work or would work or, or anything like that. And if you haven't, then you just got to kind of figure it out. That's the there's the big advice for, for this segment is just figure it out. But, you know, it was like, I had the freedom to shape it into a business that I could be proud of, but I didn't know how to do that. So it was just one of those things where I incubated it while I was in school. And, and that ended up working out enough to keep me from going back into the, the official forms of service. And so you know, and then when I got to 35 years old, I was like, man, this is kind of the official cutoff to which there's always waivers and such. But, you know, I was just like, okay, it was just another kind of doubling down to make sure that this is what I wanted to be doing with my life. And so what's that first process look like you buy? I mean, there's so many products out there that I think people would utilize for rucking, right? There's, there are countless backpack companies out there. Like what about them did not fit your needs? And then how do you go about making that first prototype? Do you just grab a, grab a backpack or, and, and sew a liner in there for a plate or, you know? Well, I don't know how to sew or anything. So that was, it was more complicated than that. But I mean, look, the issue was, is as I was transitioning, it's stuff from the military, which you can ruck with is it's enormous and it looks like you're in the military. And if you're living in New York city, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to tell anybody that I'd been in the military. Like I was trying to completely cold Turkey. Why is that kind of, yeah, it's, it's a weird dynamic that I've, I've talked to a lot of guys and it's, it's one of those things. Like you feel like a poser. Really? Uh, I did. I did at least like, you know, I, I did this thing and that's cool, but I'm not doing it anymore. And it's like, I don't really want to talk about it and I don't want to answer questions about it. And, and so you just kind of try to blend in, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing a bit. That was what I did, but then there's no, so then you go to the civilian market and there's hiking packs. Sure. But I don't want to wear those around New York city either. Like, you know, lime green and fuchsia and all of that stuff. Like that's not my style. So if you take Baghdad, I knew that gear. And then you take New York city and, you know, I had a vision that you could take the stuff from the military and adapt it aesthetically or stylistically to New York City. And basically what that means is it needs to be simpler. It needs to not have all the straps and all the buckles and all the molly everywhere and, you know, 10 pounds of Velcro on it. And, you know, it goes to sort of design principles. I mean, Da Vinci, who I love, it's like simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And so how do you make it as simple as possible? And so, you know, I looked at a couple of the old assault packs that I'd had and, you know, they were pretty good. You cinch them down and you, you keep cinching and the weight stays stable. It'll ride high. And, and so, you know, tweaking some of those and, and that became kind of the, the inspiration for GR1. Like take two or three or four of those feature here, feature here, feature here, similar vibe, turn that into GR1. And I had put an, an ad for a backpack designer, quote, quote in Craigslist, New York City, and found this design team in Montana that had a real proper looking website and everything. And that was, uh, that's what it took to sell me on, on them and worked with them for, you know, about a year. 
on a bunch of samples and prototypes because they knew how to sew and had a you know a solid background in that and and then you know had to take it to a different manufacturing place to get it scaled which is a complete it's like starting over almost right they have to learn how to sew it they make bunches of mistakes you have to correct them and it's just me at that point and so you know that was not fun you know it just so it took two and a half years until i had actual rucks that were ready to be sold and how do you find like do you just Google, how do I scale my backpack? I'm like, how did you scale from these people making prototypes in Montana to, Hey, I'm going to find these people to make hundreds and thousands of these. Very incrementally. Okay. <laughs> so the designers knew some people, but the only people they knew were overseas really, but they kind of knew a couple places. It's a, like anything. It's a pretty small world once you're in it at all. And so you just got to hunt that dog, man. I mean, here's a phone number and email, email doesn't work. Pick up the phone. Yeah. Right. Phone doesn't work. Email just call and you just got to kind of vet them as best you can, how you can. And then, you know, it's like you start the process and you send them, Hey, can you build this? Yes. How much is it going to cost? Okay. That sucks. You know, stuff like that. And, you know, you got to kind of sell them on the vision for how you're going to get the word out. What makes you different? What's, you know, all that. And then, you know, our first vendor also did our distribution which, you know, then turns into, all right, well, if someone buys it on the website, it's got to sync up with their right. whatever. And they kind of knew how to do that because they were in business to, to make money and to provide services to people or, or brands. And so, you know, and, and none of those processes or none of that stuff would we accept now, right? Because oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the bar just has the standard, has to just keep going up and up and up. And if it, if it doesn't, then you attract people that are comfortable with decreasing standards and, and also, you know, progress is measured in, in, you know, increasing standards and your ability to execute better at scale. So that's been, you're just playing it one step at a time and people think it's magic or people think it just happens ma like, like instantaneously, or they think that people started a hundred steps away from where they actually started. I mean, it was a hustle, man. And the first places that we did anything with, like, it was not that great really hard, you know, and lots of mistakes because they weren't as good as the places that we're with now, you know? How often does doubt creep in, in the, especially in those early years? You know, you're putting in all this time and obviously you, you have no guarantee of a return on your time investment for sure. I'm sure you're taking a bunch away from family, stuff like that, right? I mean, then doubt has to creep in. Yeah, I mean, doubt, it's always there. I mean, I, I was kind of, I was hedging at the time, which I would not recommend for anybody that's starting any kind of business. I mean, hedging now two jobs, one paycheck is probably a great thing to do in terms of, you know, side hustles and, and all of that. Cause you can learn while you still have some kind of income. safety, safety line or income or however that, that looks like. I mean, I think the bigger, the biggest doubt I had was, do I really want to do this? And are, are, are these challenges worth solving? Because anything that you do is going to be, you know, there's always challenges. There's always problems. You've just got to learn how to deal with it or else it's not going to work out for you. So the first person you have to convince is yourself. So what, what, what about this made you push through those? Yeah, absolutely. This is worth it. I mean, were there little things along well, this, the way? Yeah. I mean, this was a hobby while I was in business school. I had nothing better to do. And business school is not an academically rigorous two years, right? So there was sort of side projects were necessary for me just, just to kind of stay busy or to stay. What, and other stuff is, you know, turn into Goodwill Hunting and go read a bunch of other books and, and enrich your mind and pick up a hobby or learn how to play the piano or the guitar. Like, take your pick. Do something, though, right? And, and uh so I had this built in, baked in kind of period of time. And in that, you know, nobody wanted to buy the gear. And so came up with this event called the Go Ruck Challenge. And that's when it clicked for me in this parking lot in San Francisco by the ocean when we were done. And it had been hard, but hard for, I had led the event and then everybody was there. And, you know, we were drinking, drinking beer and eating, you know, peanut butter sandwiches when we were done and just kind of shooting the breeze about, life and whatever. And it was like, Oh yeah, that sucked. It was awesome. And that, that was just the vibe that we had there. And I was like, okay, this I can get behind, you know, how many people, and it was people, uh, probably 12 or 13. Oh, okay. Like so super small. Yeah. Super small. And you know, class two was in DC and there were six people, four of whom 
I knew personally as friends. And, you know, so it, it started very, very small. Yeah. So, Jason, how much do you believe your military experience has transferred over to, to your business, especially in those early years where it was so easy to quit, so easy to give up and, you know, go in a different direction? Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? I think all the adversity that anyone faces in their life is something that you can take back to the rest of your life. And you, whether you do or not, it's step one is to just acknowledge that you've, you've been through a lot, you know, and give yourself that kind of allow yourself to that confidence that, that comes from that, you know, and the more that you go through, the more you, you actually believe in yourself. And so what, look, the, it's impossible to remove me from the, the enormous impact that the men in special forces had on my life. And I'm grateful and I will always serve the special forces regiment because like, to me, it's not just a regiment. It's, it's the guys that I had, the guys who trained me, the, the, the people that I gave back to, or the still give back to based upon the mentorship that you get and that you, you are expected to give. And so in some ways, instead of, mentoring the next generation of Green Berets, I've taken those lessons and have kind of applied them to the, the country or building better Americans or, or the people who show up. So in terms of it, it's impossible to remove. I mean, I think what you're getting at is did the military teach me to overcome adversity and, and stuff like that? And it's a mindset. And, and going through all of that training certainly made me a more confident person. And sometimes you will get pushback from people in, or there's doctrine that says, oh, you're born a leader or you're not, you're this or you're that. And to which my, my no matter the person, my it, say they've been through something special forces or something hard, right? It's like, well, when you started, were you a better leader or when you finished, were you a better leader? And everybody always says, I was a better leader when I finished. Okay, then everybody's on a scale, right? You have natural gift here, your natural propensity here, but it's, it's a scale. And the more that you put yourself out there to, to learn and through adversity and challenges and opportunities, then the better you will be set up for the next challenges of opportunities and adversity and challenges that you face in your life. And so that's where I just be, I, I knew what I was capable of, even at times that that's kind of what helped me get through whatever doubt there might be that said going through the veteran transition which was hard at some point it became crippling this idea that what i used to be became this pressure that look what i could do then and i feel like i'm not doing or can't do now and i had to fight through that man that was one of the one of if not the hardest fights of my life and one day at a time one step at a time so you you started out and you're going through this transition and we see this in the fire in a smaller scale, the fire service, right? You've been doing this job for 30 years and now you can't put the uniform on anymore, but you created this like ecosystem where people can go to these events and they can wear your gear around and people assume that they're in the military, right? Like it's very easy to nowadays, like almost like pose, like you did all the things that, that you and, and your, your other family really did. Like, do you resent like that? Like, uh, that faction, that group. Yeah, group totally. It's not out, everybody does that. No, 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 but it's definitely out there. Right. Like people will assume they're like, Oh, that guy must be in the military. Cause he's out rucking or, or he's going to this event. You think and, that? I don't really think that that often. Oh, I think, I think people, it's just gotten so popular. I don't, I think there is that, but like you go to these events and like, I'm, I'm curious to know if you, you tried so hard to blend in and now that there, there are some people out there who are trying to almost take that, uh, take that valor for themselves, even though they didn't earn it. Or do you not see that? Yeah. I don't think we're in stolen valor territory. I mean, I think that, I think we've come along. I just think about it differently. I, I don't have, I think life's a pretty tough place, man. And I think if people find ways where they can feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves, then I'm all for that. And so we're not out, we're not out there, you know, all dressed in military uniforms or anything like wear whatever you want that you're comfortable in all, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that the, the larger point, and, and I take your, 
I think it's a good question. I'm not going to take the negative side of this. I'm going to take this idea of, I believe that the military is home and has graduated, if you will, some of the best and most important leaders of our generation. And I feel like it is incumbent upon us to teach others like our way of life. Our way of life is, is duty, honor, country, camaraderie, community, challenging yourself, stuff like that, and being a part of something bigger than yourself. And so at times it's great. You show up and you get to wear my boots for a day, if you will. And I think that there's, there's enormous positive social value that we're creating as well from the standpoint of, you know, you can take the negative on anything. You can sit and say, well, why does only 1% of the population serve? And, and, you know, these aggressive questions, right, that are just meant to divide us. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, what if we said, hey, you know, have you ever spent time around a Green Beret or a SEAL or, you know, someone who served in Delta or someone who served wherever? Like, this isn't war stories the whole time. This is about a way of life. Mm-hmm. It's about us giving back. And so how about we take that, that divide, quote, between the military and the civilian world. And how about we, we build a human, human connected bridge uh, amongst all of us and people get to take that back to their daily lives. And I think that that's a really powerful and positive thing. And I think that the next step of that is instead of looking at GORUCK or saying, man, you know, there's this whole connected universe of people that are rucking and, and whatever, the most valuable thing that, that GORUCK has done to me in my heart is to inspire local people in their communities to organize people to come together for social fitness. And, and that means meet your friends and go do something. Sometimes it's, it's push-ups in a field or it's a two-mile ruck or sometimes it's, it's so, so much more. But we're, we're losing this. There has been an enormous and maybe the greatest assault in our, the history of the universe on community building. It has happened in the last two years. Everything is piped virtual. You can be private until forever. You can order DoorDash and never leave your place and sandy wipe everything from your, you know, your apartment or your whatever. You can never see anybody and you're going to be miserable if, if that's the route that you choose. And it has been just a massacre on community. And we represent a different way of life. And we're really passionate about that. And so we're just out doing what we do, leading from the front. And to those people who want to be a part of that, then, then come and join us. You got two kids, right? Two boys? Yeah, Natalie's 10, oh. and then Jack and Ryan are 7 and 5, so three kids. Okay. What, do you ever ruck with them? Yeah, man. So what's the most, you've, so, what's the most they've ever done? So we, ha- we have it in our routine. It's, it's, a mile to the, it's a mile to the smoothie place and a, and a mile back. <laughs> yeah. So you dangle that carrot little, out awesome. in front, right? <laughs> yeah, a good little break, man, yeah. you know? And, and they're, like, you know, they're just growing up active. And I don't, I don't want to force my kids to, to ruck. So to say, sometimes they're like, I don't want to carry that. Right. I'm not going to force my kids to join the army. I'm not going to force them to like go out in the, in the front yard and listen to dad, tell them to do more push-ups or whatever. I think it's, <laughs> it's sort of living an active life. And, and that is what our kids are, are getting as part of their life. I think the most important part of fitness is go outside and have fun. You know, this doesn't have to be trapped behind a, a screen with, with Mr. Spandex telling you to pedal faster. That's miserable. That's and I don't really want to live my life like that. I, I do. It's harder, right? Welcome to, welcome to like our, our burden in life. Choose the harder path, right? Go outside, call a buddy up, go do something, make it fun. You know? <laughs> and so that's the life that I want our kids to, to lead. And, and that's what they're seeing, uh, you know, their, their mom and Emily and, and I do, and we, we bring them along for all that and more. So where do you draw the line with, with kids? I'm curious to hear. Just, I, I'm always curious to hear s- someone's perspective. You know, but where do you draw I the mean, lines look, with trying to push kids, whether it's you know, your own business or just in sports or in school, I mean, every part of their life, where does it uh, become too much or what, what's the right amount? You know, I think that's what everybody's always wondering. Like, what's the right amount to push my kid? To What expectation is, is the right amount to you, so they don't burn out? I, that's a that's a long. <laughs> okay, a, next week's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but I think it, it like I'll, I'll I'll summarize like start with why are you pushing your kid? 
right? Is this for you Good question. or is this for your kid? Like, do you know your kid? Do you spend time with your kid? Do you, it's just like anything, right? If you have time and trust and rapport, and if you, if you, you know, you encourage or you invite your kid to show up to, to do things, you figure out what they like and what they don't, and you support them towards what they like, and you push them, you, you veer them, or you provide additional opportunities for them to push and challenge themselves and, and gain confidence. But when it's about you, that's when it's, that's when it's ridiculous. Now, I will say there's no more rites of passage for kids anymore. There's no high dives at the, at the public pools anymore because insurance types and lawyers have, have just murdered that down, right? Like we can't have any risk in life, anything. Like our kids climb trees, you know, sometimes they fall, you know, like Ryan's, he's, you know, he's one broken arm in already, he's five, <laughs> you know? Um, that used and, to be a badge of honor though, if you came to school with a cast, you know? I mean, look, you cannot, if, if you just protect your kids from everything all the time, you know, it's not going to work out for them in the long term. So I think the first thing is, is it starts with you as a parent. It starts with you and whatever, whoever else is around. If you're a single parent, then, you know, build out a tribe around you, right? That, that like, it's good for you. It's good for your kids. If, if you're married, you know, figure out a way to do things that are active together. Like, get your kid out there. But if, if you're looking to sort of, you know, once a week, Johnny's got soccer and Johnny better win or else. And, you know, you're going to give him these pressure filled pep talks on the way. Do your best, Johnny, but make sure that you do this and that. And like, man, it's got to be fun. Yeah, you got to be fun. You remove creativity from everything when you say sports is the only time that you should be active. And, and that tells them that, oh, I can only like, enjoy this when I'm doing this thing and I'm only going to be happy if we win. And I think that's a nasty cycle to start. Well, it's what's going on in the whole fitness universe, right? It's like I can only exercise if I carve out this this specific time to drive to the gym or to, you know, I've got my allotted time with Mr. or Mrs. Spandex on my phone or, you know, well, whatever the case may be, right? But instead, it, it's like, you know, when you get to the grocery store, park in the spot that's far away. Right. Save yourself the hassle of driving around. Hey, it's easy for, for you to say spot. when you're in Jacksonville, when it's negative two, man, I'm not. You, Bring just, a damn jacket, just... man. You can get so much harder than me. That's true. It's so soft over here. Where you live, right? Uh, I've got a question about bringing manufacturing to the U.S. And, and it seems like it's increasingly getting harder and harder to be profitable working in the States and with a company your size looking into the future, like how do you see the next five, 10 years playing out? Because I know some companies already, a lot of veteran owned companies are trying to do that right now, but it's like we lost in the last 30 years, so much infrastructure when it comes to manufacturing stuff here in the, in the U S I mean, how does, how does that outlook uh, for you guys? So we're dual sourced. Yeah. Um, and we would be buried as not buried. That implies dead. We'd be. But I know um, what you mean, right? Like you wouldn't be. We would be a, a like successful business. Really hard right now. I mean, U.S. manufacturing with sewing machines is there is this romanticized notion of just rows and rows and rows of sewers. And, you know, the it, lines it used out to be that way. for people looking for work and. You know, it's just, that's not the reality. So I will, I will tell you, we are absolutely and 100% committed to U.S. manufacturing. We have several vendors around the country. We are paying exorbitant prices now for the gear that we build, at least in part, because they can't find workers who want to work in their factories. We are slowly but surely building out our own factory for, for sewing to happen in the U.S. There are a lot of business reasons to do that. Number one is cultural. Number two is it's a great thing to do. Like cultural means if you're a manufacturing company, your, your people need to understand that you actually build things for real, not just press a, press a button on a, an order. a purchase order and it just magically shows up. Number two, I, I believe it's the right thing to do. You know, create an ecosystem of, of, of jobs, encourage people to work, many of whom 
are immigrants living the American dream, which God bless them, man. I'm for, I am for the version of America where people are willing to work their asses off. That is the America I believe in. That's the America that I, I came from, from my parents and my grandparents. And that's the America that, that I, I want to live. And so I want to provide us to provide that opportunity. And it's also, you know, faster to market and you can do smaller runs of stuff and you can customize stuff, but like scale manufacturing with sewing machines is, is not something that I think is going to be extremely viable. I think you're going to have to focus on creating more value faster on things that are built here. Like GORUX GR1 is our best selling product of all time. We only build it in America and we're going to have to get even more creative about how we provide customization and and value add to that to also increase the brand of GR1 because it's tied to US manufacturing and this story that's associated with it. Whereas some of the fitness and the training product, uh, products that we build like the Rucker, they're, they're, they're more tools. And yes, you'll get emotionally attached to them the more that you use them for 50 milers or go ruck challenges or, or just your daily life. But you know we can't scale that here right now at all. And it takes so much more machinery to, to scale stuff at any reasonable cost. And we're not paying pennies on the dollar overseas. Like it, it is not happening anymore either. Like overseas is, is lumped into this kind of one word explanation and you can go pay bottom, bottom dollar and you're going to get bottom dollar products. And we have always been willing and demanding. Like we just want to be at the best place and right now. We're the smallest the smallest people at the factory where we are. And they have, I mean, you look at the way that they run manufacturing. It's like they're producing a, they're producing a media series. They've got so many screens up to track this and that. And, you know, the, the progress of everything and the cutting tables and the lasers. And, you know, there's a line a mile long out the door for people to work. Although it's been a challenge there because of COVID restrictions and protocols as well. So it, it's a mess, man. But it's it's okay. Like everything, no business is easy, and yeah. we're leading that life of of needing to kind of have a couple different ways to do different things that we're doing. Yeah, I mean we've we only have a few products, but I mean trying to find good stuff that we can still make a profit enough to make it worth our while to to get this stuff out. Do you forecast in the next decade or so that we'll get back to the level of manufacturing we're in the 40s, 50s? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah, so it's just going to stay. I mean, I thought you were going to say where we were two years ago. And, you know, th that's a maybe. Yeah, it's going to take a while, though. I mean, look, people have to want to work. Right. And so, you know, like we, we have this enormous assault on immigrants. Right. And, you know, I'm not going to get political, but I just I don't believe in that. Right. You have a lot of people that want to come here and they want to live the American dream. And it, it's like we exist like this is this is like what America was founded on. And when people want to come here and work their asses off, you know, I, I think it behooves us culturally, socially, economically to, to invite them to come here and work their asses off. And so that I see that as, as an opportunity, it's just, you know, then I think there, I think the bigger thing is that a lot of businesses now want to do this and it is in their incentive to do it because, you know, overseas it's like, well, there's about to, there's, there's an enormous trade war with China going on. And, right. and so all of that, which we've never, we've never been involved with, with China. Right. But then you've got other people so all those people left China to go elsewhere. Right. right. And so everything's filling up there. And so I think you're just going to see more diversification of manufacturing. And that's just the reality. I feel like other countries are having the same issue that we're having as far as getting people back to work. Is that a, a global pandemic as well? Uniform place. Uh, I don't think it's a uniform place. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm living here. So it's, it's easy for me to know here. But I, I mean, I think we just have so much wealth and... You know, I think it was right to to not let the economy tank. We also highly incentivize people not to work. Yeah, right. It's a problem. And so we've got to kind of pull some of that back. And you know, and then culturally, people have to want to work hard. And you know, that that's a different topic. 
What I love about GORUCK is it's simple. It's simple to put some weight on your back and go out and challenge yourself physically, but that community aspect. What I love, though, is it's simple but not easy. And so many things uh, are simple in this world. And the fact that you get a group of people outside working together, uh, suffering together. We talk about trust is built through hard work and suffering. I think that's such a great aspect of what of what you built. But then that next level is your race called the selection. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired the selection and what that entails? And, and if you have any stories that you'd like to share from that event itself. John's looking for tips because he's doing it this year. No, that's not supposed to be shared. <laughs> I, yeah, you're so doing the selection? selection? Oh, my God. John Sparrow doing the selection. He's doing the selection. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Sweet. I mean, it just looked, there was a natural evolution to make events harder and less hard, right? I mean, it's it's simple but not easy is, is a fair way to, to put rucking, right? I mean, you can do it with 10 pounds. You can do it with 125 pounds, right? You can walk the same mile. It's going to be a vastly different experience. And so the community continually wanted more and more and more, especially in the in the early days and before we had selection and, and double heavies and all of this stuff. And and so we just kind of based it off of rucking as the foundation of special forces training. And let's let's concentrate the lessons of the special forces qualification course and other special operations selection processes. And let's let's honor that kind of a standard in a 48 hour endurance event that anybody can can experience if, if you know, you want to show up and, and do the work. And so, you know, selection is the event that I have the most mixed feelings about because it is. It's a form of evil that the cadre put on full display. I mean, our job is our singular job is to get you to quit. And it's not, it's not, it's exhausting in, in a way where I have to dig up memories of, you know, how the cadre, how the cadre were with us. And I have to dig up memories of some of the cadre that are no longer with us. And I have to dig up training memories of some of the guys that I trained with and how we went through it together. And those guys are no longer with us. And I have to do it from a negative mindset of I'm trying to get people to quit. And, and that's, that's the collective kind of approach of, of the cadre. And the work does, the work does it on, on the participants regardless. But, you know, it is an extreme high at the end when you see the triumph of the human spirit. It is alive and well and thriving. And, and to be there in, in that particular place is that you see that when someone passes, it's 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 awesome. And and yet it's still, you know, there there's the, the come down after the event and then there's the processing of the event for, for all of us who are there. It's a, it's a, it's it's emotionally very charged. And so about once a year is about all the, all that we can handle of, of that one and you know, it's just, it's, it's the toughest endurance event on the planet. There's nothing else like it where it's, it's the rucksack weight. It's the, it's the sandbag weight. It's all the work that you have to do, all the physically demanding work. And it's, it's not, it's, it's not something where you, you know, what's necessarily coming next. And you have, you know, 10 special forces cadre whose only job is to get you to quit. Can you so, can you go into it a little bit more for our listeners? Uh, just a brief summary of, you know, how long the event, you know, hours a day, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, forty eight hours. There's not really any sleep. There's not much food. You've got a forty five pound dry rucksack on your back with a bunch of other sandbags that you'll meet and greet throughout the time. But you, you start out, you do a PT test, you do um, you know basics of stuff like that. It's very quiet. And then, you know, the shark attack comes. And if you start with 50 at the end of the shark attack for a couple hours, you'll have 10. And then, you know, at the end of the next evolution, maybe it's sandbag babies for three or four hours. And, and um, you know, water bucket babies, whatever, take your pick. You'll play that and you'll be down to, by, by first light, you'll be at three, four people tops, right? And then you're getting into doing the work throughout the rest of the day, nonstop. There's a, there's a small break at the 24 hour mark, but you're just pushing sandbags. You're rucking with sandbags. Sandbags are heavy. You've got 120 pounds of sandbag with a 45 pound ruck. That's hard, right? That'll speak to your soul. Um, you know, and it's, it's everything pays to be a winner. It's always a competition. You're always competing against the person next to you. Winning is the standard. It's always the standard and you're punished if you don't win. 
And if you do win, then you better win next time or else you're going to be punished next time. And so at some point you get down to one or two, which is usually at the, the 24 hour mark. And then, you know, you've got kind of a race against quitting. And so it's, it's like, if you do the work and, you know, when there's two, you're always pitting people against each other. So usually it whittles down to one person and, you know, it's, it's brutal, man. Why do you think winning has gone away to, you know, it, its value on the success scale is kind of frowned upon, especially at the youth level? I mean, society and all that. But, I mean, the way you talk about it is definitely how we feel. I mean, there's a value in winning and losing still. There's a value in, in uh, hard work, suffering, you know, competition, big time, right? I mean, you have to compete. That's a big part of your, even the, the star course. I mean, there's a competition. Well, I mean, it's, it's the same answer as, you know, like, why are all the rites of passage gone? And we're not doing people any service by, by that happening. Every Johnny getting a trophy for, for showing up. I mean, look, 90% of life is showing up. But if you want to excel, you, you better not be late, uh, late, light, or last, right? And, you know, or as they say in the Navy, on time, on target. And, and uh, you know, I, I just instead of focusing on all the whys and all the shoulds and all of this, it's like we, those of us who believe in this need to foster a a productive environment for ourselves and the next generation to have these rites of passage, to have these challenges in their lives, to have these opportunities to compete. And because the competition comes from like the lessons rather come from what you learn about yourself in those, those competitions. And that's, you know, you're not doing ourselves a service by not having that, but you also got to teach kids to be gracious winners. And and by the way, remember that for yourself as well. Like just because you beat somebody, I mean, Tom never like, wins, so he doesn't really never need that lesson. <laughs> then be a gracious loser. Right? <laughs> I'm just going to exit the podcast. <laughs> no, I think it's, uh, it's just because the entire, the way we see it, the rest of the country is, allowing this lower standard that doesn't mean we have to and i think that's the we want to help people along right we want people to join what we have going on same thing as you and foster that it's okay to want to win but i think a part of it too is there is a minor i still believe that there is a minority out there that thinks like that I, i think that the trophy you know society and and let's not let's everybody's a winner I just think like that still sits in the minority. I, I think there are a lot of people out there more than we see, more than than is put on, say, social media or just mainstream media. There's a lot of people out there that still want to compete, that still believe in having That's winners why and losers. Things like Go Ruck is so yeah. So I mean, I, I just I guess my my point is those people out there that think that it's just all bad and all gloom. Wow. I, I think there's more out there. You just kind of have to look for it. There, there are, there's a ton of communities out there that still buy into that, that still believe in, you know, the foundation. Hey man, go work, find one. You know? Yeah. yeah go we got, go find one, right go here. rock. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. I know uh, you're a super busy dude. We love what you're doing. We love your products. And um, we are looking forward to, uh, to the next go rock ourselves. Awesome. Man. Guys, check out this big fitness festival we're putting on. We're inviting everybody. It's called Sandlot Jacks, sandlotjacks.com. Um, there's all sorts of go rock events. There's rogue fitness is showing up. Savage races building a bunch of obstacles. Where's this it's at? Florida, ja- Jacksonville, right. Florida, capital of capital of freedom in the university days. <laughs> yes. And I do agree with that. And, uh, we've invited a ton of great brands and partners and, and all that stuff. So would love to invite you guys down, you know, check your calendars, see if that sounds like you're kind of fun. It's April 22nd to the 24th, um, right on the river. And it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's the best time of year here. It's like. 75 and sunny oh i love it all that stuff so awesome anyway thanks for having me on guys i really appreciate it thanks appreciate it have a good brother all right our standard patreon family is growing by the day want to give a big shout out thank you to Stephen Rivera, Dave Hagman, Jeff Payne, Nathan Adair, Jacob Alvarez, 
James Klasky, and Zach Pace. These are just the latest members who are getting more podcasts, more gear, and we cannot thank you enough for making this the family we hoped it'd be.